Whether we're exploring the latest in trucking technology, talking about the trends that propel the industry forward, or uncovering stories about the dedicated individuals who keep the wheels of America turning, this is where the roar of the engines and pulse of progress come together. It's sublime. It's surreal. It's the Heavy Equipment Podcast with Mike and Joe. Welcome back to another episode of the Heavy Equipment Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Boris, here as ever with Mike Hot Mike Schweitzer. And, uh, you know, we have a little bit of a special show today. We have, again, a rare guest on the show. We don't often have guests on the show, but today we have Darren Tasker of Volvo Penta. And we're going to talk in terms of marine engines, boat engines, things like that. But you've recently expanded that. You're now in more industrial applications and specifically recently launched a new BEST system, which is battery energy storage. Can you talk a little bit about your role at Volvo Penta and what led the company down this path? Yeah, it is true to say that Volvo Penta is known in the marine market and we have a extremely strong marine business and a successful marine business and it's a very um, critical part of Volvo Penta. Uh, since I would say 20 years now, the company has had more focus on growing our non-marine business. Uh, so we've, we had a segmented approach where we look at the power generation segment, we look at uh, mining, we look at construction equipment, where it makes sense for Volvo as a group. Uh, we look at on-highway applications, and we're, we're very much following the same philosophy that we do on the marine side. You know, Volvo Penta, at its core, is a component supplier to manufacturers. Uh, so we see ourselves as a component supplier to OEMs, and that's the same in the marine market. That's the same in the industrial market. So you say you see yourselves more as component manufacturers. So that would be the the drive unit, the internal combustion side of a, for example, a drage truck or a harvester or a generator. Exactly right. We take the assets developed by the Volvo Group, core driveline components developed by the Volvo Group. We have our own R&D group that takes those core components and modifies and updates the components to be able to sell those components to OEMs. Um, so for marine application is an easy example. You know, we take a core Volvo diesel engine, we marinize it, and then we sell it to the marine market. On the industrial side, we do the same thing. We take a core Volvo engine, we make it suitable for a generator application or a pump set application or a harvester application, as you, as you said, and then we sell it as a component to OEMs. And you're doing this in a number of different markets. You know, I think very famously last year, there was the fire truck of the future concept that was rolled out. You've also been in agriculture, construction equipment. You know, we have also the heavy equipment podcast. We talk a lot about Volvo power there. So even though, again, you may be most known for Marine, these Penta power units really are everywhere. I think that's a fair. Absolutely. I, I think yeah. it's probably less well known on, on the non-Marine side, shall we say, but uh, we, the non-Marine side within Volvo Penta accounts for about 50% of our business now. So it's a truly. Oh, really? Uh, so it's really expanded. It's a truly it's a truly diversified business with two strong segments, industrial and marine. And that's with a very successful growing marine segment. So we've seen significant growth on the industrial side, as we call it, over the last uh, 20 years, I would say, with Volvo Penta. And it's been an important part of the journey. Just to yeah, move on from that, you spoke a little bit about the fire truck. So we've taken the not just the conventional, shall we say, traditional 
reciprocating engine technology from the Volvo Group. We also take the new technologies developed by the Volvo Group. And again, we make our changes to the components or to the scope of supply. And then we offer a, again, we're following the philosophy of being a component supplier to manufacturers. Now, you know, when it came to the fire truck, great example, we're, we're providing the new technology components developed by the Volvo Group to manufacturers of equipment such as fire trucks. Terminal tractors is another good example where we're in a, a business relationship with with a terminal tractor manufacturer here in North America that's been made public. So th- there's been you know, a number of new technology customers that we're adding to our traditional customer base. Now, as you expand into the net zero initiatives and the best, the battery energy storage systems, the last thing that I read, you were working with a company called Technogen in order to develop that out. What are you adding to that expertise? What is, How does Volvo Penta play into the best system? So, uh, yes, Technogen is a genset manufacturer in Italy that we have provided components to to build up a best system the the same is the relationship with a company called uig here in north america we made a a minor investment in uig and that's information that public and again we are following the um the same strategy we're a component supplier to companies that build up complete systems when it comes to best we're offering the volvo batteries uh, we believe that the Volvo batteries offer a lot of benefits in a best application. They're heavy-duty vehicle batteries. Um, we believe the C rating of the heavy-duty vehicle battery allows uh, significantly higher energy density than you would see from, you know, batteries that are used for other applications. Uh, so, as far as the space claim for a certain um, level of kilowatt hours we believe we have a good solution when it comes to offering the heavy duty vehicle batteries in the best applications but again we are not the supplier of the best equipment we're the supplier of the components to manufacturers of of complete best systems right but it's also worth noting that as you enable these other partnerships and you start building that out we're creating a more common ecosystem of these batteries and of these components in the same way that I think in the automotive side in the early 90s as they were developing OBD, a lot of the Bosch electronics became standardized because of that OBD requirement and their leading role there. So I think I think it might be fair to say, and correct me if I'm wrong, that by working with these other manufacturers and entering into these partnerships, you're creating a common language for the kind of decarbonization of backup energy on an industrial scale. Yes, I mean, that's clearly the strategy, is to expand the Volvo decarbonization journey beyond what we sell as complete products. Um, You know, Volvo Penta is part of the Volvo Group. We are part of the science-based target um, initiative that, that the Volvo Group is committed to. And we believe we can actually play a critical role in that journey. Um, the the number of batteries that we could deploy in BESS applications could be a significant contribution to Volvo's journey, not just from a perspective of selling a number of batteries, but deploying batteries, but also from the perspective of 
critical mass, allowing us to be truly competitive across the board in the Volvo Group by increasing the number of batteries that we that we have out there deployed. Now, let's talk about some use cases. I think everybody immediately goes to data centers and hospitals, right? Because those are two industries, two fields that you really can't have downtime, right? But there's more to it than that. A lot of people are suggesting that we can use large-scale best systems, battery energy storage systems, to augment the uh, primary electrical grid and also augment wind and solar capacity when there's excess solar capacity. Instead of curtailing that energy, it can be stored in a battery to be used when there's not as much solar energy. How do you see that playing out in terms of Volvo Penta's goals? Yeah, I mean, this is you've you've kind of hit on the segments that we believe that we have a competitive position in, or we can have a com- competitive position in with these energy dense batteries. Space is important when it comes to to um, a lot of those applications, and you know, as you say, data centers. If we can take the load of a data center for a limited period of time. Uh, with the best system, we know that we're not going to be able to be able to power the data center for for days on end. But you know, most power outages are sh- for short periods of time. So there's a there's a very good chance that we can reduce the time that the diesels are running in a data center, be they Volvo diesels or not. That is well, ideally they'd be Volvo diesels. <laughs> ideally they would. Yeah, that's that's where we want to go. You know that. Um, but in, in in a grid application, again, this is where we see our position as the component supplier. I think it's going to be very difficult for um, manufacturers without a long history and, and knowledge of how the utility grid works to, to start to integrate into the grid. I mean, there are, you know, we've learned some critical um, factors in being, you know, even considered as a supplier into grid applications. Um, that, you know, quite frankly, the learning curve is just too long if we want to do it out the gate. So we see that integrating with partners that know these segments intimately well is is a route that we want to go down. So the grid segment, we we've got some um, test applications in utility based uh, segments. Of course, renewables. You know, that energy, if it's not deployed uh, it immediately, needs to be stored somewhere and, and managed. There's a lot of different applications when it comes to the decarbonized agenda for the utility grid, how energy storage can contribute to that. A lot of our readers are EV or battery electric maximalists, right? They believe solar, wind, stored in batteries, that's it. They will often push back against hydrogen. They'll push back against diesel, biodiesel, natural gas. Do you feel like the technology is there or that the technology will be there soon where everything can be battery electric? Or do you think that there's still room for these other fuel sources for the foreseeable future? Yeah, that, that is actually a great question. We we do believe that the current traditional technology certainly has a place today. We're not walking away from our traditional technology. If if we need to get the maximum amount of energy in a small space claim that's reliable with technology that's cost effective, then 
a diesel engine is, still has a place. Um, you know, we can have a big storage tank and a generator, for example. We can get a lot of energy from a generator out of a small package, and it's reliable and it's and it's cost effective. So uh, I think there's a place for diesel uh, or internal combustion engines. That technology will naturally migrate into hydrogen. Um, so Volvo is looking at solutions with hydrogen internal combustion engines. We're also looking at solutions with hydrogen fuel cells. I think that there's not one technology that is going to be going to be suitable for for every application. And the the great thing about Volvo is that throughout the group, with our uh, significant volume on the truck side, we have a construction equipment division. We've got a, a, you know bus division, various different truck brands around the world. Uh, we do have the technology within our organization that we can we can we can take from and we can develop at Volvo Penta for the different applications. Yeah, you know, and it's, it's funny you mentioned uh, Volvo Construction, uh, Dr. Ray Gallant, who runs that ship over. I know Ray in, well. Yes. Yeah, Ray's awesome. Ray's done like six of these with us, so uh, yeah. we're we're big fans of Ray. And we had been talking about some of the uh, hydrogen fuel cell applications that were being developed, and we had not talked about hydrogen combustion. For people who are listening to this, who maybe don't realize that there's more than one way to. Uh, skin a hydrogen molecule to to stretch that metaphor a little bit can you Mm -hmm. kind of explain the difference between a hydrogen combustion versus a fuel cell yeah sure so again the 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 path to hydrogen combustion engines is a it takes various different steps as well so our first step into hydrogen combustion is the dual fuel engine so we have uh, it's it's a compression ignition engine where we're injecting a small amount of diesel um, and then substituting as much of the diesel for hydrogen as we possibly can. We've launched that product with an eight liter engine with a generator manufacturer. The results have been actually better than we thought they were going to be. Testing this unit at load factors between, shall we say, 40 and 60, maybe even 35, 65%. Uh, we can substitute a very high percentage of diesel for hydrogen. When you get very, very high load factors, then we have to go back to more diesel. But we can substitute over 50% uh, hydrogen for diesel, which, you know, if you stay in that kind of mid-band load factor, it's a very good solution. The next step in, on the journey will be to take what we learn from the dual fuel um, applications and develop a full 100% hydrogen engine, which will be an SI engine. So, you know, it's a different uh, different head, but um, the base engine will be the same. And then, you know, we develop the hydrogen, um, you know, the hydrogen system as well with, with the engine. So that's the journey we're on. As I mentioned, we have launched a uh, eight liter dual fuel engine, which is which is working now. Uh, the next step will be to develop a 400% hydrogen internal combustion engine. But the dual fuel is significant because even if you're running a blend, even if it's not an 80-20 blend, you can cut about 80% of the emissions of the diesel particulates out of that. And again, if you're staying in that mid load factor range, the substitution rate is actually very, very good, which, you know, a lot of diesel engines or a lot of traditional applications they may go up to 100 percent every now and then but you know most applications are running in that mid 40 to 60 or 30 to 70 percent load factor range for the majority of their life 
Right. Is this calculated? Is the fuel mix calculated in the ECU, or is it something that's like a premix? No, it's a it's a it's software developed. So as you're running 90% of the time in that mid range, it's using the more efficient hydrogen. If there's a peak, if there's a demand peak, it'll crank up and it'll mix in more diesel. You don't have to have somebody go out and fiddle no, with no. it. It'll do it on its no, own. No, no, it's pre uh, it's pre-programmed, and that's why yeah. we've been running the testing cycles to, you know, to push it to its limits. How much can we substitute? Yeah. What is the what is the maximum substitution and still get the power out of the engine that we need to get out of the engine? That was a great learning, actually, to to, uh, you know, even better than we thought um, that we could substitute a significant amount of hydrogen in that area where the engines are mainly used. Yeah, this is great stuff. I wasn't aware of this until we started talking about it and I was able to very quickly do some Google search. Looks like it came out uh, towards the end of September you announced this here so can you talk about some of the applications that you're putting this in is this a uh no no we started off with power generation we're we're going to move into pump sets and and different um but we can put it in a variable speed application too um so that's the next phase of this is to look at a variable speed application and you know i also will add that we're looking at variable speed and power generation applications for for fuel cells so oh, that's interesting it, it's not just one path and as i said i don't think there's one solution for for one problem um you know where there's no uh charging infrastructure or where charging infrastructure is very difficult we may need to have uh, a fuel cell and batteries on board a machine so that mm-hmm. we can get the range um you know with the fuel cell working as a prime power uh, for the machine but also charging up the batteries and and we see it as an efficient solution where the fuel cell can provide, you know, let's say 60% of the power required by the machine. When it, when you require to go above that, then you need to apply the energy from the batteries. Um, and again, when the, when the energy from the batteries drains down and the fuel cell has got excessive power, then that power is put back into the batteries. You may not be able to answer this question, and, and that's fine if you can't, but... Uh, I wonder if, because you have this ability to put out, uh, let's call it a set number of kilowatts of energy from the um, the dual fuel engine, has there been any thought given to using something like this, not as a drive unit, but as a generator unit on an EV to build something like a, uh, for lack of better terms, something like a diesel electric locomotive, but put it into a semi truck tractor chassis so it is running with the e-axle but instead of carrying fifteen thousand pounds of batteries it's running this gen set um i don't think we've thought about that specific application i think there's probably you know we're probably adding too much weight onto the chassis to put a generator on there diesel locomotive i can see that you know certainly diesel um, electric trains is something that's been deployed Oh, for a hundred years. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's a on a class eight chassis, I think we would just be adding too much weight with um putting a generator on board. But even if we I took mean, out the batteries? Because that's the big well, issue now, right? Is that you're adding eight thousand pounds of batteries instead of a two thousand pound motor. That's the challenge. And of course the more batteries you add, the less payload you have on the exactly. on, on the truck and 
the less batteries you have, the less range you have. So, I mean, that's why we see a fuel cell together with batteries to be a good solution for the haulage truck market. You know, from a Volvo Penta perspective, I mean, not, not from a truck side or the CE side, but on the Volvo Penta perspective, our customers are experts in their field and how to deploy the um, energy. You know, they, they come to us and they say, you know, we need a, we, we need a solution to do this. We work with them and we, you know, we have our carbon neutral agenda as well. So it's, it's an interesting mix of. Um, it, it keeps it fun, doesn't it, Darren? And it, it, it certainly <laughs> does. Yeah. Well, Melissa, I'm I'm sorry we didn't get to hear as much from you. I know you you've got it's some. Uh, Darren, sound Darren issues. is is the total expert on. on no, all Melissa, of this carry stuff. on. I'll, I'll I'll be quiet now. I, I really <laughs> get, get carried well, away with this stuff. <laughs> This is great stuff. I was going to say we're coming to the end of our time commitment here. I want to thank you so much for doing this with us and well, allowing you. me this interview. Uh, you know, for before we sign off, how can people follow along with what you're doing? How can they learn more about this? Is there a you know a, a Volvo Penta TikTok channel where Darren gets up and dances in the little uh, outfits or no? I hope not. <laughs> we we do have uh, several social media channels you can of course look for us at our website which is just volvopenta.com we are on facebook at volvo penta and also we are on instagram at volvo penta na so it looks like volvo pentana so find us there we have all the volvo social pentana, media yeah right. that's how i always that's how i always like to <laughs> <laughs> like to think about it but yeah also we have lots of news coming out regularly so you look at the news section of our website and um it gives you all the updates about what's going on uh, new new industries new products everything like that so beautiful well thank you so much and uh we should do this again did you like that or did that suck i like that that was good that was professional all right so thanks again for darren being on the show and uh Mike, a lot of stuff going on over there at Volvo. They seem to be doing some good work. I, you know, I was asking about this because, I mean, I am not all knowing. I don't know everything, even though people claim that I say that I do. What, what is Volvo Penta? What is that? Explain that to people. They're like, what, what, what's, pe- what's, what's this <laughs> like, Penta? What thing? have we just listened to for the last twenty-five minutes? Pretty much, like, <laughs> I mean, we're not talking about Penthouse Forum. So, yes, we talking- are. Yeah, we're going to plug Penthouse. There we are. That's they're they're sponsoring. Anyways, what's the Penta part? What are we talking? Yeah, about? Penta is the powertrain division. So that's like the engine. So when you think of like, you know, a, a Dodge Hemi, the Hemi is the motor, right? So you can take a Volvo Penta, which is this energy producing engine, and you can put that anywhere. And one of the right. neat things that Volvo has done is they're expanding that Penta name to be power generation. So however it is that they get energy, that they generate power to drive a machine, whether it's electric, whether it's hydrogen, whether it's diesel, that's going to fall under this Penta namesake. And obviously that comes from that, you know, pent roof head design that they've had going on now for 40, 50 years. Oh, yeah. Well, listen. There were the innovators of this. Um, there's many machine shops that would get cylinder heads dropped off. They'd go, what the hell is this off of? <laughs> exactly. They had, they had a, a spring retainer device that was so ingenious and encapsulating, it was almost fail-proof. And uh, unless you had some kind of mechanical misfortune that created a, a, a loud knocking noise that you would surely hear and not care about, so you would just keep driving, it wouldn't fail. But most of the machine shops can't take it apart. It's hysterical. And if they've never seen it before, they're in there cutting on it and all kinds of stuff going yeah, on. I don't know what they're doing. Guys, like, listen, I just, I just, I just want to do a valve job here. I, I don't know why you're bringing me this. 
but no, I know exactly. I know what you're talking about now with some of that. But the the Penta parts, like MTU, would you know MTU is yeah. another power gener power generation part of another company. I got you. Yeah, exactly. So it's the power generating part of Volvo, and it's it's interesting because we've been talking about horsepower for so many decades and now we're starting to talk about kilowatts and kilowatts of power but it's got to be easier for different markets right because you know we used to work you know for those of you who don't know mike and i first got together and started working together and we were drag racing porsches and you know building up nissans and things like that and a lot of the specs would come over from germany especially on those you know 996 turbo and 997 turbo motors and everything was in kilowatts all mm -hmm. the dyno curves and everything was in kilowatts. So for them, if you think about that, they're still producing kilowatts. It's just oh, not yeah. with a reciprocating engine. Well, right. It's funny because anybody in the U.S. that reads that, it kind of throws them through a loop, you know, when talking about kilowatt, because it, it it's the basis of power in itself, right? Yes. So we talk about, you know, pound, feet, foot, pound, depending on how you want to talk about it, which way you want to say it, and then horsepower. They're actually talking about kilowatt power, which is a conversion that, I mean, most people look at that and they're like, well, uh, I didn't realize it was electric. It's like, it's not. <laughs> it, it's, it's generating the same equivalent power as so many kilowatts. Correct. Direct correlation. Same thing with horsepower. We, you know, this is like the US thing. We want to make up everything on our own. You know, we have all these other, other weird measurements. None of, none of it is on any kind of a decimal curve. We, we mix... 12 inches to a foot and then we break that down fractionally to a decimal and then we we switch it up back and forth no wonder nobody can get anything right i don't know how many eagles per hectare does this thing burn <laughs> right there's a guy with, there's a guy sitting there with the with the conversion almanac for the D, in front of the dot going it's 0.2 eagles flatness <laughs> i think we're okay i think this is a good time for what the <laughs> i can't wait for Le Mans this year we're going to definitely talk about that oh yeah oh yeah well okay so looking down at, at our list of stuff here we're going to talk about today so what's this teamster overtime pay if i'm reading this right they're working towards getting drivers overtime pay for um for just working overtime anybody well actually it makes sense because any driver that doesn't drive for a company that gets paid by the hour and you're paid by the mile it would make sense that you are entitled to some kind of additional benefits for, you know, long days and this and that. Yeah. So let's talk about this. So this is a bipartisan bill. It's in Congress. It's uh, being put forward by Mark Takano from California and Jeff Andrew in New Jersey. This is a Republican and Democrat. So it's true bipartisan sponsorship. And it's called the Guaranteeing Overtime for Truckers Act. So the argument is that there's language currently in the Fair Labor Standards Act of 1938 that exempts truck drivers and equipment operators from receiving overtime compensation. Now, there's been a right. lot of questions about strikes and unions and what kind of labor contracts they have that give them you know, time and a half or whatever it is. But at the end of the day, in most cases, drivers don't get that. So this is now a bill that's in Congress is going to change that. So I'm going to read here from the actual bill itself, from the introduction, quote, 
Truckers have been left out of overtime opportunities due to archaic standards, says Senator or um, says Congressman Tanako. The impact of truckers on the supply chain to get Americans the goods they rely on entitles these workers to competitive wages. In an industry plagued with high turnover, the most common sense solution is to guarantee overtime pay to drivers. You know, I I have to say I I don't really know that much about the politics behind this, but it seems to make sense. You've got highly skilled workers. We depend on the work that they do. The entire economy shuts down if they're not on time and doing what they are expected to be doing. We've got a driver shortage already. Why are we not paying these guys overtime now? Well, let me put it this way. If you know anything about history and the history of trucking and, and transportation in this country, they were taken advantage of from the very beginning. It started out with percentage-based hauling, okay? Percentage-based hauling is no better than working in a coal mine and buying from the company store. You are being paid a percentage of the shown value of a cargo that you are moving from one point to another that they broker. Right. So they're effectively dictating your pay and your percentage of such pay. That happened a long time ago. And lettuce and produce markets and stuff like that were like, well, the only fair thing to do is to tell this guy to, you know, he can get a, a portion of what we make. Uh, on the surface, it was very fair, but then it turned into this whole thing and it, and it wasn't. And then it, it moved into other markets. So so here we are. Guys were not getting paid as it was. Guys were getting abused on hours, no downtime pay, no loading pay. They were forced to load and unload the trucks. And, oh, right. When they were just getting paid by the mile. Yeah. And, and there were still there's still places that operate like this. And then what happened was through necessity or need always creates something. This is how the Teamsters were created. The Teamsters go back to the days of teams of mules and horses. That's what that's what the Teamster means. You're the, the guy who's operating all that, moving all that. So you get the Teamsters come along and the Teamsters start to organize drivers. And they always call it that. It's organizing. And then mm-hmm. they, did, they create collective bargaining. That's what a union does. Those are two very powerful tools. You're going to take a mass group of people that believe they're being wrong. They're going to organize together, and then they're collectively going to bargain their way into a scenario that makes sense for both sides because both sides are needed. You can't cripple the company that's hiring you because that company is essentially paying you. At the same time, the company can't cripple the driver because they can't enslave them because if they don't have them, they can't move their goods. So, of course, they need overtime pay. And I think this is just a a modern version of another thing that we need to do to protect the drivers. Drivers that are not in a a by-the-hour scenario, like I was talking about earlier, you know, most construction companies pay their drivers by the hour. Some do it by an hour slash mileage rate. We have to be fair to them because without it, the stuff doesn't get moved. It's that simple. Yeah, exactly right. You know, and then... And then you end up with, uh, and I, I'm going to say this. I mean, we can we can, we don't talk about a lot of politics, but but then you end up where you know you got some guy who wants to fight the Teamster president on the Senate floor. <laughs> I mean, you really want to pick a fight with a, a Sean O'Brien? You know, they listen, listen. The Teamsters. We don't even get into the whole mob thing from years past and and, and all the loan, the money they loaned out, whatever. They've actually done a lot of good, and for a very long time, they actually generated a lot of retirement scenarios that were benefited the drivers that gets overshadowed by the whole mob thing where they were loaning money out 
And actually, anybody that really wants to dig into the whole mob loaning of money, they made money on every dollar that they loaned. And to this day, all those records are publicly available. They made money on all of it. So I don't even want to hear about the fact that we loan money. You loan money to your bum neighbor. If you give him 10 and he gives you 15, you made five bucks. Right. You helped him out and he helped you out in the end because you were in a position to help him. But you're really going to you're gonna have a guy named O'Brien. You're going to fight him on the floor. This goes back <laughs> to the days of the 1700s where people were whipping each other on the floor because they didn't agree with anyone. You well, forget about that. going on? Forget about that. This guy's a fourth generation teamster. And he's sitting there. The, this- O'Brien, the IRA guys are going to come in there. These IRA guys are going to fly over and take everybody out. Like you're messing with somebody you shouldn't be. I'm not saying <laughs> exactly the teams right. are run by the IRA. I'm saying they will personally take offense to an O'Brien being hit on the Senate floor. We're going to have problems. I don't. I don't think. Uh, I don't think he'd get hit very often. I think. No. <laughs> that might get one strike in. I'm going to tell you that. <laughs> Yeah, it's an Oklahoma Republican, Mark Wayne Mullen. He he's gonna let Mark Wayne uh, here. Y'all let you have the first hit, and then that'll be it. It'll just be beating that guy on the ground. Well, Mark, and this is not this is not a Republican Democrat thing. We're not no, no, picking no, no. This sides is a stupidity here. Stupidity thing. This is a stupidity thing. You don't yeah. go up and pick on a fourth generation teamster named Sean O'Brien and not expect to get beat in front of your mama. If Sean was on the show right now, I would tell him he should show up there. Take his tie off, walk down the carpet, take your shoes off, man. Be respectful of the carpet. Walk down the <laughs> carpet and wait. Because the oh, guy yeah. we're gonna get out of his chair and actually walk up there. And the Teamsters should be promoting this because here is somebody putting down the working man and putting down the working class. That's and exactly that's a it. serious problem. That's a serious problem in this country. Absolutely. So Sean's. So it's not his Twitter anymore. Now it's his X. So on Sean's X, this is the Teamster official <laughs> Twitter feed has a picture of this guy, Mark Wayne. And he says, uh, greedy CEO pretends like he's self made in reality. He's just a clown and fraud with daddy's money. Always has been quit the tough guy act in these Senate hearings. You know where to find me anytime, cowboy. <laughs> and then he has a picture. It. Look, then he has a picture of the guy standing at the at the podium in like on like a step so that he looks tall <laughs> it's, we'll put this in the show notes this is brutal no it's we, we so good why well, here you know what though i gotta i gotta say something i gotta say something i i looked up sean's x feed and his his name is at teamster sob this guy rules <laughs> this guy rules he basically here's the thing <laughs> Sean, if you're listening to this or any of your people are listening to this, we want you on the show. We want to talk to you. 15 minutes is all we need. We 100% support everything you're trying to do. You're doing an awesome job. Keep it up. <laughs> and uh, just tell us who you want us to vote for at this point. We'll make it happen. That's right. <laughs> this is Ohio. We know how to vote. <laughs> uh, listen, I'm a non-member board member of a union. I sit in on the board for the International Operators Union. Union people take offense to all this, and they should, because anything that degrades protections, not unwarranted. We're we're gonna we're gonna talk about this for one second. Unions were created to correct problems, and they're all on one basis: greed. Absolutely, greed caused all of these things to come about. The Teamsters, the Operators Union, 
all these unions were brought upon by greed, not greed for the union, greed because people were like, listen, we need somebody to sit here for us and and collectively bargain for us and help us get raises. Well, that's it. And look, if you're sitting there going, ah, unions suck, they never did anything for me, but you're not working today, go thank a union. You enjoy your weekends, go thank a union. You want to take Memorial Day off, Labor Day off and sit there and bitch about the unions not doing anything good for you. Yeah, give me a break. Go thank your union. Speaking of unions, that we we haven't talked about the UAW uh, in a little bit. Is that is right? That completely settled? Is it? Is it? It all seems settled? like it's mostly settled, right? I mean, it's it, squashed it, in the media a little bit after the big hubbub, and then everybody kind of. Uh, did Sean Fain? Is that how you say his last name for the UAW? Yeah. So, so Sean Fain reached tentative agreement with Ford on October twenty fifth. They uh, followed with GM on the thirtieth. Stellantis, I think, was the first one to work on a new deal. And it seems like they have their contracts are in the process of ratifying them. If you look at two days ago, they reported that they were ratifying it. And it looks like the Mack truck strike, the the UAW guys that were on strike at Mack truck, they had a a very easy resolution, which we kind of expected that. I think Mac's always been very good to its people. We talked about that. They they've always they were way ahead of their time, anyways. And yeah, I think I think out of loyalty to the overall situation, the UAW for Mac had to step in for a little bit, you know, and and take a moment and say, listen, we have to support the other people. We're not saying we have a problem with Mac or Mac Volvo, but we, we got to support we, the rest we, of our brothers. We are supporting the UAW's mission. Exactly. Which, we, which we need to get some people caught up on their overall pay, which had been lacking because of uh, COVID and things like that. So, well, it's not even that. It's 100% it had been lacking. I'll give you that. But I think when you look at the white collar side and you look at the management side and they've gotten 40 and 50% pay raises in the last four years, and they're doing it on the back of the labor force that is manufacturing the products that they sell, and they're not sharing that wealth, that's not fair. And again, I'm not going to get into this whole political thing. And this is a very political episode for us. I'm I'm not going to get into whose side is what and what's fair treatment or anything like that. I'm just going to say this. If you have ever owned a business or a race team or a football team, whatever, if you have record success, everybody should share in that. If you have record profits, you should pay record pay. That's it. Record profits equals record pay for your team. That's how it should be. And if you have a problem with that, you have a really different sense of right and wrong than what I have. And I think what most people have. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And yeah, you're right. This is a very political episode. But again, we're not picking sides. All we're doing, and I guess we we were a little bit because we're talking about pro-union. Well, we're not picking sides in terms of right and left or you know no, whatever what else. We're, we're picking is- sides in terms of working class people who are busy, who earn what they put on the table, who are working for a living, and that they deserve to partake in the success that comes from the work that they do. It's the foundation that everything that we have is based on. Exactly right. Because nothing is given. Everything in this country is very much earned. This country was based on that. Right. And we have a very rare thing here, and I don't think anybody listening to this could could disagree with that. It's rare in so many ways. We have to support anybody that is helping everybody at the end of the day. We talk about drivers. There's a driver shortage that helps everybody. They help move things. The operators are moving things, whether union or non-union. That's how stuff gets done. Right. 
Well, you talk about construction. You talk about all these people, you know, the migrants coming in legal or illegal. They all need a place to stay. They all need hospitals to go to. They all need schools to send their kids to. So do we who live here. We need a bridge that's going to stay up when we kind of drive across it. Right. We need more rail. We need more lanes. We need more homes for the growing population. And all that stuff needs to get built. And there's a shortage of operators, a shortage of drivers. And at the same time, you're reading about all this stuff and people can't afford to make ends meet and housing is so expensive. But then you look at Wall Street, they're making record profits. You look at the C-suite and the executives and the shareholders. Ford just approved a multi-billion dollar stock buyback. Yeah, it wasn't too long ago they were crying and saying they couldn't afford to pay their workers. But now they can afford a multi-billion dollar stock buyback? Come on, right. guys. Right. Exactly. At least, at least pretend. At least give it a give it six <laughs> months. Like, ah, we'll we'll buy it in Q2. Let's let's pretend that we didn't have the money for a little bit. I don't know. You the know, ink's not even dry on the union contract, multi-billion dollar stock buyback. I know. And that's what's sickening about the whole thing. You know, we can talk about this on another episode. The nice. <laughs> offer more stock to those that work there. Oh, well, that used to be the way it was done. Exactly. Used to be, I'm not even talking about, you know, Tesla or Apple. I mean, if you go back to the days of no. RJ Reynolds tobacco in Salem, North Carolina, a hundred years ago, that yep. was the town of reluctant millionaires for a reason, because if you worked there, you were given shares of the company. The longer you worked there, the more shares you had. And there were guys that were working, you know, sweeping up shavings on the floor. And they woke up one day and said, well, we've got $200,000 in stock options. And this was back when $200,000 meant something. Well, and when that happened, see, here's the other thing. A lot of these companies that came around, they had stock options and the options were given. When people realized that they were worth money, it gave them the employees the opportunity to do one of two things. Use the worth of that to buy more stock or provide for their families. That's Either right. one of those at the end of the day is a good thing. That's and right. those companies, those companies for right or wrong, regardless of the product they were making, the model was sound. It yes. was, we are going to take care of those that help us be who we are. We have to have that. UAW and I came to an agreement. We're also going to offer you stock. If you want to start a payroll deduction and you want to start buying stock within the company and be a member of the company you work for, even though you're you're under a collective bargaining agreement, I don't believe that's against the UAW rules. Mm, we'd have to look into that because I think that is part of the reason why a lot of Tesla employees are voting against unionization because they do get paid in stock. Yes. But you know who would know who about this? Sean O'Brien. Damn right. Let's get his ass on the show. We'll ask him about we it. We need him on here. We're going to have to, we have to reach out because I'm telling you, whoever's running their Twitter, wait, what do you say? Is it Twitter or you say X? I don't say anything. Okay. I, I ignore all that. Well, whoever's running their feed does an amazing job. They, they tag a ton of people in there and it's there. It's updated regularly. Yeah. I just started digging through it and you know, he's out there, he's out there doing stuff and say with the UAW. So I don't know. Well, let's run an Ovaltine commercial, see if he likes that, and we'll try to get him online. Drink your Ovaltine. Captain Midnight from headquarters. Attention, members of the Secret Squadron. This is important. Keep yourself in top condition. Remember, to do your best, you've got to be at your best. Because someday you may be called upon to pilot a jet plane across the continent, even to take the wheel and bring a great ship safely into port. 
to drive an ambulance to disaster areas. And when the time comes, you've got to be ready for it. That's why I want all Secret Squadron members to drink Ovaltine every day, as I do. Yes, chocolate-flavored Ovaltine, either hot or cold, because Ovaltine helps give you the nourishment you need for strength and staying power. When you add Ovaltine to milk, just look at the extra food value you get. It's good, and it does you good. So remember, that's the Secret Squadron way. We drink Ovaltine every day. Chocolate-flavored Ovaltine. Tune in next week for more Heavy Equipment Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, or wherever you find podcasts. Uh, uh.